probably experienced failure in different ways, and really the reality is it's not about if you're going to fail. It's just really all about when you're going to fail and how you respond to that, and that's what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. Well, I was thinking about uh, different times in my life that failure has crept up, and one of those highlight moments for me was definitely in the seventh grade. I was a little bit of a class clown. Uh, anybody else have kind of that reputation a little bit in school? And, it, you know, it was amazing for me is that up until seventh grade, I was like the perfect student. And then even after seventh grade, it was something about that year that was magical where my personality just decided to come out. I don't know. Um, but I loved the attention. I loved the laughs that I got. And I just did minor things. I did minor things like, you know, changing the combination on my teacher's briefcases or sabotaging the lights so they wouldn't work in the classroom or hiding watches all over the room and setting the alarms on them at different increments so they would just go off throughout the whole period. Uh, Really was minor things and not that big of a deal until it was. And the end of my seventh grade year, my parents got this wonderful letter stating that I was not welcome to come back for my eighth grade year. I know some of you, you've lost so much respect in this moment for me. But it was failure, right? And I think all of us, we can look back on decisions that we've made in life that maybe resulted in failure. Sometimes it's real. Other times imagined to be bigger in our minds than maybe it really was. But we've all failed. Uh, I came across a story about Colonel Sanders. Uh, Some of you have tasted that finger-licking good chicken, right? Kentucky Fried Chicken. Well, it wasn't until he was 62 years old And all he had left was $100 Social Security check in hand. And he was pitching his chicken recipe to restaurants all over the South. And according to reports, more than a 1,000 different restaurants had rejected him. I mean, I don't know about, I mean, boy, this guy's better than me. Because I think around 500, I probably would have just given up thought, maybe my chicken's not as good as I thought it was. But he kept on. And finally, he found success with a restaurant outside of Utah. And it became the first Kentucky Fried Chicken. And the restaurant sales tripled that year and went on to be the most successful chicken franchise in history. But he failed a thousand times before he got it right. And so I think the big question for us as we enter this series is this, and it's the first filling on your notes. A big question for us is not will I fail, but rather how do I respond when I fail? How do I respond when I fail? How do you respond to failure? And what about the kind of failure that impacts our relationship with God? What about the sins that we've knowingly walked into and we didn't know how to get out of? Uh, What happens when we know we've hurt the heart of God? Uh, I know for me at least, there's been many times in my life that I thought it'd be easier to give up or to quit because I thought maybe God was so disappointed in me. Or I thought, you know, maybe this whole Christian walk and this whole, you know, following Jesus thing was for people better than me or stronger than me or just had better faith or more discipline or whatever it was. But the truth is, and this is something that has to resound in our hearts as we walk through this, and it's your next villain, that God is into imperfect people because there isn't any other kind. God is into imperfect people because there isn't any other kind. And perfection is not something we will ever achieve this side of heaven. But somewhere along the way, we've gotten this idea that if we're not perfect, that God maybe no longer wants us. Or maybe he's waiting up in heaven with that giant sledgehammer just waiting for us to make a mistake so he can pound on us. But nothing could be further from the truth. 
And today, real briefly, I want to share with you a a side-by-side story of how I know this and how you can know this. That God is for you in spite of your failures, in spite of your mistakes. You see, there was two different men who were followers of Jesus. Two men who both failed. Two men who responded completely differently to their failure. One ended in death. One ended in life. And so I want you to remember back, if you ever went to church growing up, and I want you to think back to those Sunday school moments when you went in, and the reason you were so excited to be there is because you knew you were going to get like a little Dixie cup of animal crackers. Do you remember that, right? That got you excited, didn't it? I mean, it still makes me kind of excited. And, and every once in a while, I'll like think of an animal cracker, and I'll be like, oh, those are so good. And then I see one, and I have one, and I'm like, those are terrible. Why did we ever like those? They're terrible. But imagine you're in Sunday school class and the Dixie cups have been handed out and you've got your little two ounces of water, you know, in case you spill, it's not a disaster. And the teacher brings out the flannel graph, didn't she? And she took out those Bible characters and maybe in this lesson, she would have brought out Peter and she would have brought out Judas and she would have said, or he would have said, here's a story that I want to tell you today about failure. And we pick up this story when Jesus is eating with all of his disciples. This group of guys who had given up everything to follow him. And they were a band of brothers, compadres. I mean, they were a tight-knit group who had built close relationships. And everything at this dinner was going swimmingly well until Jesus drops a bombshell on them. That one of them was going to betray him. We pick up this story in Mark chapter 14, and it reads this way. It says, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. And while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. And they were saddened. And one by one they said to him, probably what you or I would have said in that exact moment, Well, Jesus, surely you don't mean me. I mean, there's 11 other guys in the room, and let's be honest, Jesus, they're not as quality of a guy as I am, and so you can't possibly be talking about me. Well, it's one of the 12, he replied, one who dips bread in the bowl with me. So imagine sitting at this table with Jesus, the one whom you've left everything else to follow You've given your life to this cause, and this is the news that Jesus brings. That somebody sitting around this table is going to betray Jesus. I mean, imagine the blow. And then Jesus says something that was both shocking and true at the same time. And these guys, in their frame of reference, they didn't even know how to take this in. When Jesus said in verse 27... Actually, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So here in this moment, Jesus is foretelling what's about to happen. And we already know this, right? Because we know how the story ends. But we know by reading the eyewitness account that after Jesus died, that the rest of the disciples fled for fear of their life. 
They thought, well, listen, we could have a little bit of courage while Jesus is with us, but the moment he was arrested, the moment he was taken into custody, the moment he was sentenced to die, the other disciples thought, well, if they could kill him and capture him, certainly they're coming for us next. And that's why we read in Scripture how they went away and they hid because they didn't want to be found. And then sitting at the table, after Jesus makes both of these shocking statements, Peter does what maybe you or I would have done. He pledges his loyalty. Now, Jesus, hey, Jesus, if we could just have a side conversation real quick. And Peter declares to him in verse 29, listen, Jesus, even if all fall away, I won't. Jesus, you can count on me. I mean, I'm your guy. And truly, I tell you, Jesus answered today, yes, tonight, Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. And I mean, this, Peter's mind is blown. He can't even comprehend it. And he says emphatically, Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. I mean, Peter thought what you and I would think. Listen, there's no way that I would fail you in this. There's no way that I would disown you. There's no way that I would fall away. And yet, as we look back in our life, as we look at the many times that we have failed Jesus, maybe we never thought that we'd end up in that place of failure. Never we thought would we make the decisions that led us to that place or that brokenness, that sin. And yet we found ourselves in the exact spot that maybe we said we'd never be. And then there's this other guy named Judas, and Judas is probably a little bit more familiar to you if you've heard this crucifixion and resurrection story. But in Matthew 26, it says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver Jesus to you? Like, I know you guys are hot on his trail, and I know that you don't like what he's stirring up. And so I want to help capture Jesus for you. And if I do it, what's in it for me? And maybe this is something that you would expect from an enemy of Jesus, but Judas was one of his followers, one of his disciples, one that had left everything to follow him. And so they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. Pretty gutsy, pretty deliberate. I mean, hard-hearted, failing on purpose. I mean, why would he do this to Jesus? And how could he do this to Jesus? Later on, as we know how this story goes, that Jesus and his disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane waiting and praying on the eve of his death. And Matthew 26 tells us what happens with Judas. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. 
Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. He said, the one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus is arrested in that moment. He is tried. He is condemned to death. All because he was a threat to their religious system. And verse 27 tells us that there's a bit of change of heart that is inside of Judas. It says, when he who betrayed him saw that Jesus was condemned to die, he was seized with remorse. And returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and to the elders and said, I have sinned. He said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Like, get me, guys. Like, I thought this was a good idea, but I had no idea he'd be condemned to die. Listen, if we could reverse this whole thing, if we could go back on this failure that I have made, can we please just have a do-over? And yet, they said, what is that to us? They replied, that is your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and he went away. And hanged himself. See, the choices Judas made led him into a place of failure. He failed the one that he at one time loved and followed, whom he had devoted his life to. And yet his failure led him to this place. And yet he was remorseful, he was sorry. And yet his response to his failure was devastating. A permanent solution to a temporary problem. But I'm sure in Judas's mind, he couldn't even imagine going to Jesus. I mean, what would you say? What would you do to try to make things right? In his mind, there was no other way that failure was final and failure was fatal. It was over with and done with. And you see your next fill-in, your response and my response to failure will determine the future success we hope to find. Our response to failure will determine the future success we hope to find. And so a question I have for you is, are you failing forward Or has failure been final for you? Has it been a stopping point? Whether it's in relationships, maybe something happened with a job, maybe something happened with your kids, maybe something's happened financially and you failed there. On and on and on. We can all think back to the failures. And if those failures stopped us in our tracks, has it caused us to retreat? Has it caused us at times to give up on faith or walk away from God thinking maybe he doesn't want us? What does failure look like for you? Because this response to failure will determine the future success we hope to find. And this response to failure was much different for Peter than it was Judas. Look at what happened to Peter, Luke 22. We pick it up where Jesus is arrested. And it says, then seizing him, Jesus... They led him away and took him to the house of the high priest and Peter followed at a distance. He wanted to kind of keep an eye on what was happening. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down 
with them. So you have to understand that in this courtyard, this was the epicenter of where all of this trial would be held. Where Jesus was secretly being interrogated under the cover of night. Peter's hanging out around the fire. And a servant girl, verse 56, saw him seated there in the firelight. And she looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. You know, Jesus, the one they just arrested, I mean, this is one of his guys. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. You're with that group, that group that follows Jesus. Man, I am not, Peter replied. And about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Just imagine in that moment, as Jesus is maybe walking from one building to the next, as he is handcuffed and guards surrounding him, and it's in that split moment as Jesus is walking by and the rooster crows and Peter looks up and there is Jesus staring at him. I mean, could you imagine? Do you remember when you were little and you did something wrong and your mom gave you the look? You know what I'm talking about? You know what the look means, right? In fact, you know multiple looks, right? You could define them very easily. But Jesus just made eye contact with Peter. I mean, could you imagine? After just pleading his case, Jesus, maybe many others will fall away, but I won't. I mean, even if I have to die, like, I'm with you. And here three times, Peter had disowned even knowing him. I mean, if anyone was no longer in the club, it had to be Peter, right? I mean, Jesus saw it, he heard it, he witnessed it. He for sure had to be out because there's no way that Jesus would accept this kind of failure, this kind of betrayal because Jesus has standards. And there's no way that Peter could ever make the cut. I mean, especially after all that Jesus did for these guys. There's no way that Jesus could welcome them back. And yet Jesus dies and three days later rises again. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he went and found his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. You see, after leaving, hiding for a little bit, they had gone out in a boat to fish, but they couldn't catch a thing. And even though there was a ways out, they saw a man standing on the shore, yet they couldn't recognize him. And the man from the shore yells out to them, hey, try putting your net on the other side of the boat. To which these professional fishermen probably thought, who does this guy think he is? Doesn't he think we've already tried the other side of the boat? What does he think we are, stupid? All right, well, let's just try the other side of the boat. And when they do, 
they caught such a catch that they couldn't even haul it into the boat. And with Peter's back turned to the shore, immediately in that moment, he knew it was Jesus. Now, if you're Peter, and you've denied him three times, and you think there's no way I'm a part of this thing anymore, and you're in a boat, and all of a sudden you know Jesus is just yards away, what are you thinking and feeling? I better get to the bottom of this boat, right? I better hide. I don't want to see Jesus. Maybe I should just jump and just swim until I can't swim anymore, right? I do not want to turn around and get back on that shore. We pick up the story in John 21. It says, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Come on, come back to the shore. So Simon and Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. They knew it was Jesus. I mean, the man that they just saw die on the cross a few days earlier. He's now alive on the shore saying, come on, would you have breakfast with me? I mean, talk about mind blown. In verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, come on, let's go take a walk on the beach. Now, listen, I mean, if you're Simon, do you want to take that walk? Absolutely not. I don't want to be alone with Jesus. I, don't want him, I haven't even looked at him. I've just been looking at my fish the whole time. I can't even make eye t- contact with this guy. And as Jesus and Peter walk, Jesus asks this all-important question. Simon Peter, do you love me more than all of these? And yes, Lord, he said, I mean, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my lambs or feed my sheep. In other words, I want you to begin to build my church again. Feed all the Christians that need the feeding. The people that are searching for answers, I want you to go back and start helping them. And again, Jesus asked him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Now, we don't know why Jesus asked him three times. Maybe it was because he denied him three times. I have no idea. But Jesus asks him these three times, and he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. In other words, Peter was saying, God, you know. There's how many times when we've been there. God, in spite of my failures, you know that I love you. Jesus, in spite of this mistake, you know my heart, that I'm still for you, and I still want to be with you. Even those in this moment, I feel so guilty. I feel full of shame. He said, Jesus, you know everything and you know my heart. You know that I truly love you. Then Jesus says, all right, then I want you to keep following me and I want you to go build my church. And what's so amazing about this story, and if you miss everything else, don't miss this, is that Peter went on to be one of the greatest builders of the early church He went on to accomplish almost more than anybody has ever accomplished 
in building the early church. And if it wasn't for Peter's efforts, you and I probably would not be sitting in this room today 2,000 years later. The guy that should have been out of the club was just put in charge of the whole thing. How does that happen? How is that possible after such failure? It's a great question, and I'm glad you asked. Because here's the answer, and it's the next filling in your notes. That the truth is there's no failure that is greater than the grace that Jesus offers. There's no failure greater than the grace that Jesus offers us. Because you know it and I know it that every single one of us will fail in this walk with Jesus. There will be times we stumble and fall. There will be times we make mistakes that we wish we could go back and do over again. And oftentimes our first inclination is to hide. It's to run or to give up like Judas did. But rather, on the contrary, Jesus invites us, your next villain, he invites us every time we fail to come back to him and receive the forgiveness we need. Every single time when we fail, he invites us, come on, come back, receive grace, receive mercy. And had Judas not ended his life, that same grace would have been extended to him, even though he handed him over to be killed. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture that exemplifies this picture of grace and this invitation that Jesus offers us is found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. And it says this, that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Now at first, to be honest, that's a little intimidating, isn't it? That there's nothing that you've said that's hidden, there's nothing you've done that's hidden. There's nothing I've done that I could, you know, hide. God knows it all. It says everything is uncovered and laid before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account that one day we'll stand before God and have to give an account of our life. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, after he rose from the dead 40 days on earth and then he ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, he says, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And even though it sounded bleak, and even though I know everything's uncovered, and even though Jesus knows every single mistake you and I have made, he says, listen, I want you to hold on to your faith, and here's why. Because the Jesus who was just on earth is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And this is about to make a world of difference for you and I. And he goes on to say, for we do not have a high priest who was unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Every single thing you've bumped into in life that has tempted you to go one way instead of the other, Jesus has encountered it. And because he's felt that temptation, because he's felt the pull, the scripture writer tells us that Jesus empathizes with us. And because of that, here's the invitation. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with, what's that word? Confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amazing. 
He says, Peter, listen, I know that you feel like running and hiding, but I, I don't want you to run and hide. I want you actually to be filled with confidence, to know that I've been tempted like you have been. And I want you to come back to me so you can receive grace and mercy. I mean, this, this whole idea is so powerful and really needs to get to the deepest parts of who we are. Because you have an enemy, the devil, that wants to lie to you and tell you that you're worthless, that God's given up on you, that your mistakes are too big, that you can't go forward, that there's no way that God would accept you. So you might as well give up. You might as well quit on your faith journey. But this verse tells us that Jesus is passionately and empathetically inviting us back into relationship with him. Come on. Will you receive grace and mercy? Lamentations 3.22. I love this verse as we get ready to close. Look at this. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. Do you know what the word never means? I mean, if you really break it down in the Greek, it means never. Isn't that amazing? Never means never. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Look right here, look right here. Every single morning, his mercies hit the reset button. Brand new all over again. As if what you did before has been erased and God says, come on, we're starting brand new. No matter where you've been, no matter how long you've been gone, no matter how many mistakes you've made, come on, every single morning, my mercies are new for you. And so here's our great encouragement, your next feeling that God's great love for me never fails even when I do. God's great love for me never fails even when I do. And so you might ask an honest question. Ryan, why in the world would he love me when I've messed up so bad? When I've failed him? The truth is, it's because it's who he is. God is love and he can't be anything else. It's just his character. And he's not embarrassed by your mess. He's not embarrassed by you. He loves you more than you could possibly comprehend. And he just invites us. He says, come on, I want you to live in that grace. I want you to breathe that in to understand how rich my mercy and grace is for you. And the truth is, in settings like this, is sometimes when we are the least vulnerable, when we are the least open and the least honest, because if I'm being honest, there's been many people in positions like mine, in churches like this, that have made it really difficult for you to be anything less than perfect. So what do we do? Because it doesn't feel like a safe place to struggle or fail, we hide. We hide our failures. We put on religious masks. We just kind of pretend that everything's okay when it's not until it becomes too late. And maybe the brokenness in our life is caught up to us and there's little left to fix. But can I tell you that we want Riverway Church to be a safe place to struggle? For you to understand that this is a safe place filled with grace, that you don't have to act religious because we know when you do, it's dangerous to your life, it's dangerous to your soul, it's dangerous to your future. And so if you walked in here today thinking that you should put on a mask that says you have it all together, please don't. 
Because no matter my failure or your failure, just like these guys, Jesus says, my grace will always be enough. And so live open. Live open with friends, with pastors in your small group. Be open about your journey. So then, Ryan, what if I fail Jesus? What do I do next? Great question. And here's the answer. Your next villain. You say, I'm sorry. You receive his grace and you keep going. That's what you do. And if I could boil down this whole like relationship with God, journey of faith thing, down to one piece of success, this is what I would tell you. Just don't quit. Just don't quit. Even when you're tempted to, even when the devil's lying to you, telling you to give up, don't. Don't give up. And one of my favorite quotes is at the bottom of your notes is that the measure of a person is not in how many times they fall, but in how many times they get back up. Because even two steps forward and one step back is still one step forward. And it's what we do. We live in grace. And so the question becomes, as we close, when you experience failure that breaks the heart of God, will you respond like Judas did? that runs and hides, that gives up, that quits? Or will you respond like Peter did? Whom after his failure, he grieved his mistake. Don't miss this. But he was still willing to have a conversation with Jesus. And that conversation is life-changing. Even in the midst of your failure, you're willing to have a conversation with Jesus. And so as we close out this thing, I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads around this room. And I want us to take 30 seconds just between you and God. 30 seconds between you and God and maybe it's a conversation with Jesus much like Peter had that says, Jesus, you know I love you and I'm sorry for my failure. Jesus, you know I love you, I'm sorry for my failure. And it's in that moment that he will extend forgiveness to you. And so I want you to have that conversation with Jesus. 30 seconds, let's do that right now.